Church 1132. Come on, God is in the room this morning. And, and I heard the Lord say, uh, Mother's Day is the perfect day to have an encounter with Jesus, right? Mother's Day is a perfect day for your body to get healed, for sickness to get eliminated from your body, for any sort of bondage in the room to go away. Why? Because when Jesus is in the room, everything changes. And so I want you to know you're in a room with the Lord, therefore you're about to have an encounter with Jesus, right? That's what I love about the Lord. So before you sit down, just turn to someone and say, I'm ready for my encounter. Ooh, I like that. You guys did that. That was good. Hey, I just want to take a moment and honor pastors Jamie and Dustin. Thank you so much for having me. I tell you, we're right. Your pastors are the best of the best. It really is a privilege to partner with Church 1132 because it's such a church on assignment. And the Lord really has his hand on this house. And just when we were just sitting a moment ago and hearing Church 1132's responses to the tragedies that have happened in your community, I thought, man, Sean and I looked over like, who does that? Like, this is, it, that should be the normal, but it, it isn't. And, and I love that this is the, your church's normal to respond out of compassion, practicality, providing the needs of people in the crisis. And you're running to people, not away from people. And you're saying, we have you, we're praying for you. And I just want to say, well done. Like, well done, Church 1132. What a great house that really is going to change your community. And I know that uh, today is a day that's Mother's Day, and we're going to speak to that in just a moment. But my husband is so kind. He has been traveling for four days straight. He has been in a, a plane every day. We've been ministering, uh, but he has just been nonstop. And I gave him permission. I was like, it's okay. I can fly down to Dallas. I'll be home Sunday night. But my husband insisted on coming, and that's when you know you got a good man. Because he's just like determined to be here. I'm like, thank you, baby, for being here. I'm, I'm so grateful. I always feel like I preach a little bit better because I got my person in the room. You know, when you got, you know when you got the one person that really believes in you and you're like, okay, Jesus and my husband believe I can do it. We're good, right? So I, I'm just, I'm grateful. Um, and, you know, I really believe that 2023 specifically, I'm not going to be preaching on this today. Um, it really is the year that I believe the Lord is releasing the voice and the sound of women. So all the more, I'm really excited and honored to be preaching at Mother's Day because I'm passionate about women getting released, although I'm not talking about that today. But I did make a sweatshirt about it. I did make a sweatshirt about it because I was praying early 2023 and I saw a picture of, of me preaching in this and I thought, you know what, I think other women need to wear this too. So it, it's actually a picture of a line that says, woman of God, hear me roar. And so I made this for women because I believe it's the hour in which we're in. God is raising up women. But I know all of you are too amazing. You already have your Mother's Day gifts on lock. So I know you're like good to go. So this is not a Mother's Day gift, but it could be an add to. It could could just be in addition to the plans that you've already done because you guys are really that good. So I'm going to dive into the word. Let me give this to you, baby. Awesome. Thank you so much. That's awesome. And I want to just begin because I do have a word of the Lord, I believe, that is for the house this morning. It's a word of hope. It's a word of promise. And so if you came in this morning needing some hope, needing a promise, and needed, needing a reminder of how good and faithful our Jesus is, you came to the right place, because you're about to encounter that. But as it is Mother's Day, I want to take a moment and just say happy Mother's Day to the natural mothers, 
to the spiritual moms in the house, to the adoptive mothers, to the foster mothers, to the women in the room that are waiting to be a mother. And we want you to know even the mothers also that have maybe lost children that are in this room right now. I know for many people, Mother's Day can be an incredible day, a day full of joy, but it can also be a day that is incredibly painful for a lot of people. I want you to know whatever, wherever you're at in your journey of motherhood as a woman, whatever your experience has been with motherhood, I want you to know today is a day that God is going to reframe, redefine, and actually fill you with hope. Because today is a day of joy. Today is a day of breakthrough. But women of God, we honor you. We stand with you and we see you. And I just want you to know you're honored in the house today and we recognize the value of what women carry and what women release. So happy Mother's Day, right? Okay, let me share with you a little bit of a story in my life. You know, I was raised Catholic. I went to Catholic school, like the whole thing. And I had a, 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 a great experience. And I love to bring that because I like to kind of stir the pot a little bit. I had a great experience in the Catholic church. And I went to Catholic school. And we experienced the power of God. My family experienced the charismatic renewal in the 80s. And for some of you that are not familiar with that term, charismatic renewal, it simply means holy spirit invaded the Catholic church in the 80s. So it means that the priests began to have healing services. We saw miracles. There was a baptism of the Holy Spirit. A bunch of Catholics were speaking in tongues and the Holy Ghost was up in the mix in mass. And it was awesome. Right? I remember going to Catholic school and telling the nun I spoke in tongues and she's like, that's wonderful. I mean, so I had a really cool experience that it provoked in us a pilgrimage. But what it did is my parents had a decision because we encountered Holy Spirit in the Catholic Church. They did, they knew that they had encountered Father. They knew they had encountered Son, the Savior, but they didn't know the person of the Holy Spirit. So what they began to do was in our family create space for the Holy Spirit to move. And as my parents made the decision to say yes to Holy Spirit and yes to creating space in our family for God, it changed my family's story. Did you know, mom and dad, that when you say yes to God and you create space in your home and your family, you actually change your children's story. I, I, I want to sow some hope in today that your yes and the decisions you make to create space for connection and the move of the Holy Ghost in your family, it changes your generation. So here I am at eight years old, and my family gets invited to a summer camp up in Smoky Point, Washington. I'm born and raised Oregon. I'm a Northwest girl, all the things, right? And so your pastors can relate to that. We get a little woo-woo in the house for the Northwest people, right? And so I'm in Smoky Point, Washington. I'm the youngest of three girls. My parents are in the adult services. My sisters are in the junior high, high school services, and I'm in the elementary services, like the children's ministry. And we're coming back, and we're comparing what God's doing in all the other services, right? Well, my parents talk about their service. I talk about my service, and I share things, and I loved it. You know, we we sing songs. There were puppets. There was, you know, um, you know, Velcro pieces of their faces, and they moved it if we sang the song wrong. Like, it was awesome. Like, I loved it. I stood on the chair. I sang as loud as I could. I was about it. But when my sisters began to share what happened at their services, it was very different. 
than what was happening in my services. They were talking about that God was talking to people, that people were so overcome by the love of God they couldn't even stand up. People were being set free. God was talking to people. And I was like, hold on. I mean, I love the puppets, but forget the puppets. Like, if that's available, like, I want that. And so at eight years old, I made a vow, and I, and I decided that I was going to go ahead and just make the plunge and go across a dark field because the Northwest does not believe in any outdoor lighting. It is consistently pitch black at night everywhere you go in the Northwest. And so it's pitch black. I, I dart across the length of a football field at eight years old, which felt really brave. And I asked to go to the bathroom with no intention to go to the bathroom, but get to get to my sister's meetings. As soon as I got to the door of where their meetings were, I walked into, I wouldn't have been able to articulate it at the time, but friends, I walked into the presence and the glory of the Lord. I didn't fully understand what was happening, but the gifts of the Spirit were at work. Uh, the Lord was prophesying through people. People were getting set free. The love of God was overwhelming people. I knew I was in the presence of God, and I knew it was God. I didn't understand it, but I knew I wanted it. I remember at eight years old, cramming my little body against the back wall and praying no one would see me because I knew I was too young to be in the junior high, high school services. But I remember making this prayer, that I really saying this prayer to God, and I I said, God, if this is available, I will spend my life pursuing it. I'm in every word. Why am I sharing with you this story today? Because my parents made a decision to say yes that marked me for the rest of my life. I'm up here today preaching in 2023 because of what happened to me at eight years old. I'm here today with the call of God on my life. You're here today walking with what you're walking in because people before you made space for God to encounter you. And so there's power when we make space for God to encounter us. The yes of my parents changed the trajectory on my life. I want us to read from 2 Kings chapter 4. We're going to be reading about the Shunammite woman. And I want to take you through the story of this incredible woman, a woman of miracle, a woman of breakthrough, and a woman of persistence. This woman had a tenacity in the spirit that was not going to settle for anything but the fullness of God's promise. It's exactly what I believe God wants to do in the house today. Some of you are going to get your tenacity back. Some of you are going to get your hope back in the room today. Some of you are going to get your fight back for the promises of God in your life. And it's all about saying yes and making space. So this woman that's known as a Shunammite woman, did you know we don't even know her name? And yet she is one of the most powerful people in scripture in the life that she, we don't even know her name. We just know where she's from. She was a woman of wealth. She was a woman of means. And she recognized when the prophet Elisha came through the town of Shunem, she looked to her husband and she said, I want this man to be in our home. Can we create a room, a space that whenever the prophet of God comes through this town, can he stay at our home? Can we feed him? Can we serve him? Can we bless him? Can we simply host the presence of God on this? prophet's life. So the husband agreed. So this woman had to be really intentional. So she built a home. She had to hire the contractor. She had to furnish it. It says in scripture that they actually furnished it with a bed, a table, a lamp, and a chair. She made it a place of a refuge. She made it a place where you could come and wait on the presence of God. And she fed both uh, prophet Elisha and his assistant Gehazi. And she made space for these men of God to come and rest in her home. But what I love is they were so overcome 
with her hospitality and her kindness and her intentionality. They wanted to bless her. What I love is the prophet sensed that the Lord wanted to bless this hospitable, compassionate woman of God that had intentionally created space in her home. And what I love is they call this woman and they say, how, how can we bless you? And the prophet, I'm paraphrasing this portion of scripture, but the prophet asked the woman from Shunem, and he says, I know the king, I know the commander of the army, can I talk to them, can I do you a favor, what do you need, what can I do on your behalf that would bless you? And she says this, if you can believe it, she says, I don't need anything, I'm good. What is that saying to us? She's saying, prophet, I did not bring you into my home so I could get something. I brought you into my home because I want an impartation. Because I see what's on you. I want that to invade my family, my home, my marriage. I want my life to be shifted because I recognize you carry the word of the Lord. You carry the spirit of God and the presence of God that if you abide in my home, the atmosphere must shift. Because when I make space for you, my family will be changed. She didn't want anything of a material possession. She was looking for the intangible. She was looking for the, the presence. She wasn't a woman to be bought. She had the means. She wanted something you could not buy. She wanted the presence of the Lord. The prophet of God is so overcome by this. He looks as, after she leaves, he looks at his, his assistant Gehazi and he says, we've got to you know, we've got, we've got a blesser. And I love this. Gehazi and the prophet Elisha begin to brainstorm how they can bless her. You know you're in a good place with God when the prophet is trying to brainstorm how to bless you. I don't know about you. I'm like, God, can you send some prophets along into my life that can brainstorm how they're going to bless Krista? I'm like, I receive it, Jesus, right? So they're brainstorming, and it's actually Gehazi that says to the prophet Elisha and says she does not have a son. And her husband is old, indicating if a miracle doesn't happen, she will remain barren. And so what I love is the prophet feels God on this and recognizes this is the word of the Lord. She calls the Shunammite woman back and she stands in the doorway of the room. And this is powerful. And he says to the woman, this time next year, you will become pregnant and you will have a child in your arms. This time next year, you will hold your son. He prophesies this over the Shunammite woman. What does she say? She instinctively says, don't you dare get my hopes up. Don't you let me down now. And what she's saying, she's saying, you spoke to the place that was barren within me. I have reconciled it. I have been okay. I have not required a child to worship you, to praise you, to give you all of who I am. I have not required a child to make space for you. But I have rather said, God, you haven't given that to me, but you're still good. You're still faithful. I, I still worship you. I'm still going to pursue the things of God regardless if I receive the blessing. But because I our God is who he is. Because we serve a God who is kind, who is merciful, who's compassionate, who's generous, who does not leave things undone that have been promised over your life. He finishes what he has started. He prophesies to her the greatest desire of her heart, one that she hadn't even vocalized, one that she hadn't even spoken to. And what I love about this is the woman's heart is in the doorway. And as we stand in the doorway, when the prophetic word comes to you, there's an invitation for that word to take root within you. Prophetic ministry is always looking for agreement. 
The prophetic, the prophetic word as it goes forth is always looking for a place to land in agreement. Because her heart was saying, God, you're still good. We're good. I'm going to worship you. But God's like, but I want to bless you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to require you to have courage to partner with the miracle. She's standing in the doorway. She agrees with it. And in fact, she becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son. Some years pass by. So this Shunammite woman has been living with the blessing. She's been living with the promise. She's been enjoying the promise. I wanted to give you that backdrop because we're going to begin to read scripture and break it down as to the life this, this woman lived that is such a powerful example of when unexpected things happen after the promise has been released. 2 Kings Chapter 4, verse 18, it reads, One day, when her child was older, he went out to help his father, who was working with the harvesters. Suddenly he cried out, My head hurts, my head hurts. His father said to one of the servants, Carry him home to his mother. So the servant took him home. Excuse me. And his mother held him on her lap. But around noontime, he died. She carried him up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and left him there. This is what I love about this portion of scripture, is this woman stood up and took what was dead in her lap and took it to the presence of God. Why is this so important? Because she could have allowed what was dead in her lap to be her final chapter of her story. That could have been the conclusion to the promise. It could have been, God, you prophesied it, you released it, I'm grateful, I got 12 years with it, we're good, I guess it's time I let it go. But this woman of God knew that if the prophet had prophesied it, if God had given it, then the enemy couldn't rob it. So she stood up, and it doesn't say she cried, she wept, she freaked out, she panicked, she went on social media, she called the intercessor, she called her, her best friends, she called her counselor. It doesn't say she did any of that. It says she stood up and took what is dead in her lap and went up to the exact same place where she had received the word of the Lord. The same place where she once stood barren and it was prophesied over her womb and her barren womb became fruitful. The same place where the atmosphere of her home had shifted and what was prophesied came to, place, uh, came to pass. The same place where she had received Received the word of the Lord, and she knew that if she went back and took what is dead and laid in the presence of the Lord, there was resurrection power. She modeled to us that before the storm came, she was already in a place of hosting the presence. Many of us experience the, the hits of the crisis in a more severe way because we have not been spending time in the presence. But when we have created space in our lives, because the word of God says tribulation will come. But tribulation doesn't have to be the end of your story. The hits of the enemy don't have to be your story. The dead child on your lap doesn't have to be the end of your story. You can stand up and remind God of what he prophesied, what he declared, and what he said over your life. This woman of God models to us how to respond when the storms of life come into your life. 
She models to us that she was not afraid, freaked out, or scared, but she stood in faith in the promises of God. I love that when the enemy came at her, she took her greatest struggle and laid it in the place of rest. She had created that room for the prophet to rest. She took the crisis to the rest. She took the problem to the presence. Let's keep reading. Verse 22. So she sent a message to her husband. Send one of the servants and a donkey so that I can hurry to the man of God and come right back. Her husband asked, why go today? It is neither a new moon festival nor a Sabbath. But she said, it will be all right. Did I just hear a statement of faith in the midst of crisis? Let's keep reading. Let's skip to verse 25. As she approached the man of God at Mount Carmel, Elisha saw her in the distance. He said to Gehazi, look, the woman from Shunem is coming. Run out to meet her and ask her, is everything all right with you, your husband, and your child? Yes, the woman told Gehazi, everything is fine. But when she came to the man of God at the mountain, she fell to the ground before him and caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi began to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone. She's deeply troubled, but the Lord has not told me what it is. I love that this woman does not allow her crisis to have fear in her where she settles for the counterfeit. Now let me break that down. When you're in panic mode and you're looking for anyone to help you in your crisis, you're going to get distracted by the Gehazites that come to detour you. Did Gehazi was the counterfeit version of she's in full pursuit to get to the man of God. Gehazi is not the one who prophesied the child. It was Elisha. Gehazi is not the one who carried the anointing for resurrection power. It's the prophet of God. Gehazi has been around miracles. He's talked about miracles. He's observed the miracles. He's been an observer to the miracles. But he has not been the one facilitating the miracles. He's not been the one going after the miracles or God moving through him in the miracles. And this woman of God, because she was a woman of discernment, she knew that she had to get to the source of what initially gave her the word. Gehazi was sent there in a place of distraction to detour her off of the pursuit to get to the man of God because she was going after resurrection power. I want you to catch this this morning because so many times when we're in crisis, that fear can become so real. That panic can set in and we hear one voice say, how can I help you? But it's not the voice. It's not the right voice. It's the one that takes you down a rabbit trail that wastes your time, your resources, your energy, your capacity, and it wears you out and it dulls your faith. But if you stay in route and you stay in and looking in proxy to what God has. And you're like, get out of my way. I'm getting to the man of God who prophesied to my bearing womb. I'm getting to the man of God who released and changed the atmosphere in my home. Today, that's not going to be in the store. I have a dead child sitting in my house right now. And Gehazi, you need to get up out of my, my way. And what I love is she doesn't even entertain a conversation with him. She just says, oh, no, it's fine. She's not explaining it to him. She's not breaking it down for him. She's like, no. Give me to the man of God. She does not have time to waste. 
And I believe in this moment, so many of us have storms and crisis or unexpected situations, and it is so easy for fear to detour you. But I feel like this morning the Lord wants to actually remove the fear and release faith, impart faith in the room, that you actually get back in a place of positioning yourself to go after the things of God without distraction, without being detoured by the area of fear. Because there's a promise that's about to get resurrected in your life. Let's keep reading. Verse 28 says, then she said, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? She's talking to the prophet. And didn't I say, don't deceive me and get my hopes up? Then Elisha said to Gehazi, get ready to travel. Take my staff and go. Don't talk to anyone along the way. Go quickly and lay the staff on the child's face. But the boy's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I won't go home unless you go with me. So Elisha returned with her. This is what I love. The Shunammite woman modeled to us in crisis what to say, how to say it, and to who to say it to. What do I mean by that? Notice, she never has once said her child is dead. She never told her husband the child was dead. She never told the servant who was taking her to Mount Carmel. That's why they were going, because the child was dead. She never said anything. She didn't say anything to Gehazi. When Gehazi says, is everything okay? She does not say my child is dead. She says, it is all right. She gets to the prophet of God, and she still does not say her child is dead. What does she do? She gets to the prophet of God. She's standing in the prophet's presence, and she says, did you not say that I would have a child? Did I not tell you to not get my hopes up? Did I not tell you to not deceive me? Did you not tell me that I would have a son? All she does is remind the prophet of the word of the Lord. And in one translation, it says the prophet stood up. It's as though the prophetic word called the prophet to attention. And heaven leaned over and says, we must undo what the enemy is trying to do. We must finish, God, what you have started. See, when the prophetic word goes forth and we stand on the word of the Lord... She did not allow the narrative of the enemy to become any part of her story. She did not talk to the people that did not have authority to change it. She did not waste her time inside conversations and give people access to her space of faith. Oh, come on, somebody. Some of us are talking to people, and we wonder why our faith has dwindled. We're talking to the Gehazites that don't have the faith for resurrection power. They're going to show up. They're going to wash, but they're not carrying the anointing for breakthrough, and then we wonder why we don't have peace. We wonder why we're not full of faith anymore. It's because you got distracted. You started talking about the enemy's narrative, but God says, where's the faith on your mouth where's the faith in your story because when you begin to prophesy back to what God has prophesied to you that's when you begin to see resurrection power what are you confessing over what you want your breakthrough in what are you declaring over the things that feel dead in your life what are you speaking over those situations that you want to see God move powerfully through have you been distracted 
or are you prophesying? I want you to be reminded this morning to prophesy to the dead things because the spirit of God in you is going to rise up and remind heaven what has been promised over you and your family. Verse 31, Gehazi hurried on ahead and laid the staff on the child's face, but nothing happened. Shocker. Right? There was no sign of life. He returned to meet Elisha and told him the child is still dead. We're like, we know. We know. Verse 32, when Elisha arrived, the child was indeed dead, lying there on the prophet's bed. He went in alone, shut the door behind him, and prayed to the Lord. And then he laid down on the child's body, placing his mouth on the child's mouth, his eyes on the child's eyes, and his hands on the child's hands. And he stretched out on him. The child's body began to grow warm again. Elisha got up, walked back and forth across the room once. And then stretched himself out again on the child. This time the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Verse 36, then Elisha summoned Gehazi, called the child's mother, he said. And when she came in, Elijah said, here, take your son. She fell at his feet and bowed before him, overwhelmed with gratitude. Then she took her son in her arms and carried him downstairs. Again, we see a picture of how to respond when crisis come to your home, when the unexpected knocks on your front door, when the dead things are laid in your lap. What does the prophet do? As soon as he gets to the home, he goes upstairs, he shuts the door, he removes all distraction. He turns off his phone, he puts it in airplane mode. And he listens to the presence of the Lord. And he prays and he gets the strategy of heaven. As soon as he gets the strategy, what does it say the prophet did? The prophet then lays on the dead child. As I begin to pray about that, because I begin to go, Lord, he changed his posture. The thing that was on top of the woman, the thing that could take her down, the thing that felt heavy, the thing that felt weighty. He didn't put the child on him. He, did, he didn't allow the news and the report that the child was dead. He didn't even allow the report that Gehazi said the child's still dead. What did he do? He got the strategy of the Lord and he got on top of the child. Eye to eye, hand, mouth to mouth, hand to hand. I heard the Lord say, this is the moment, this is the season, this is the hour where you got to change your position. You got to get on top of it. The things that have been holding you down in the past season, the Lord says, you got to change your perspective. You got to get up on that thing. You got to get on top of it. You got to change. You got to see it for what it is. You got to begin to declare it with your mouth. You got to begin to prophesy to it. See, when things are on top of you and pinning you down, they feel weighty, they feel heavy, they feel daunting, they feel overwhelming. But when you flip it, and you get up on it, and you begin to prophesy, and you begin to say, God, but this is what you said. This is your promise. And all of a sudden, a body gets warm. But there wasn't resurrection yet. So what did he do? He gets up off the child. He walks the room one time. And he gets and he does it once again. And all of a sudden, the child says, then is awake and sneezes seven times. Why is that so significant? Someone cannot sneeze if they're asleep. The sneeze indicated the awakening moment for the child. The child's now fully awake. But there's a clearing out, a reboot that has to happen 
Did you know, biologically, when you and I sneeze, it's literally rebooting our filtration system in our body. It's a clearing out of our system that is required in order for our body to be set back into balance. We actually have to sneeze to clear things out. What does the number seven represent? Divine order. Perfect order. And it also means completion. The number seven, as this child sneezed seven times, what is it, what's happening? This child that was once dead has now been revived, sneezes seven times. There's a full reboot that's happening out. There's a clearing out that's taking place. And it's happening and it's, it's being done until it's fully completed. As soon as that child is resurrected, that child now is going to live a completely different life. Who he was before he died is very different to who he's going to be when he's resurrected. Many of us are believing for things before, you know, we're going, God, could you just restore it to what it was? And God's like, I'm not the God of what it is, what it was. I'm the God of what it will be, what I've prophesied, what I've declared it to be. And what I love is Elisha didn't give up. See, had he given up, he would have just settled for a warm-up. But sometimes we have to keep doing what we've been doing to get the resurrection. Sometimes we have to stay in position. And what does staying in position look like? Praying, fasting, declaring the word of the Lord, getting in the presence of God, making space. Because everything about that woman's life, the breakthrough happened in the same room. Because this woman initially said yes years ago. Scholars and theologians say this boy was about 12 years old when this happened. So let's say 12 years ago this woman said, that's the prophet of God. I want that in my house. I'm going to make a room for it. It's that same space. It's the same posture. It's the same intentionality that now resurrection power is happening over the dead child. It wasn't a new space of encounter. God had met her there many times before. See, when we make space, it changes the stories of our family. Her child's life was totally changed because of the tenacity of a woman God that refused to be detoured by anything but the fullness of God's promise. I'm calling on some mama bears this morning and on Mother's Day. I'm calling on some papa bears this morning at Mother's Day. I'm calling for some tenacity in the spirit in the house of God for people where you've gone, is what in my, in my lap? Is this the final chapter? Is this the final conclusion? I want to prophesy to you today, get up. Get it to the presence of God. And run to what God has prophesied over you. What has God declared over your situation? What has he said? And is that what you're saying? But what I love about the word of God is it tells us the rest of her story. Because this woman said yes, there is continued blessing and breakthrough in her life. Let's keep reading. 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 1. Elisha had told the woman whose son he'd brought back to life, take your family and move to some other place. For the Lord has called for a famine on Israel that will last seven years. 
So the woman did as the man of God instructed. She took her family and settled in the land of the Philistine for seven years. After the famine ended, she returned from the land of the Philistines and she went to see the king about getting back her house and her land. As she came in, the king was talking with Gehazi. There he is again, the servant of the man of God. The king had just said, tell me some stories about the great things Elisha has done. And Gehazi was telling the king about the time Elisha had brought a boy back to life. At that very moment, someone say at that very moment. The mother of the boy that walked in to make her appeal to the king about her house and the land. Look, my lord, the king Gehazi explained, here's the woman now. And this is her son, the very one Elijah brought back to life. Is this true, the king asked her, and she told him the story. So he directed one of his officials to see that everything, someone say everything, that she'd lost was restored to her, including the value of any crops that had been harvested in her. Is that not our God? Is that not our God? Our God has many names, two of his names. One is author. It means he's the one that writes your story. But one of his other names is finisher. He finishes what he started. There was the promise in the Shunammite woman's life, a breakthrough, a blessing, a multiplication of inheritance and resurrection power. And this woman stood in the presence of the Lord until she saw it in the fullness. God had already gone before her and prepared the breakthrough of the blessing. Everything that the enemy attempted to rob, the Lord said, I'm going to restore back the land, the house, and the harvest because our God is the one who says, when you make space for me, I will give you blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. Our God is faithful to finish what he has started.